You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 52. And this is another episode that should be of particular interest to anglers. Just like the last one, specifically for anglers who are interested in angling beyond just catching a fish, but interested in the future of recreational fishing, advocacy, and ensuring that angling and anglers are recognized as a valuable parties and stakeholders in the economy, conservation efforts, natural environment, etc. The episode is once again recorded through the internet, and I got a feeling that the after recent update, the tool I'm using for online recording got worse, which is nothing unusual that the new version of the software often tends to be worse than the old ones, especially early in the release cycle. Well, anyway, our guest is David Mitchell, who is not only a lifelong angler, but also as a angling trust head of marine and a board member of the European Anglers Alliance. We talk with Dave in length about angling politics, that includes Brexit, but we also talk about the impact of climate change on angling, as well as more specific subjects like exploitation of wrasse by the salmon farming industry and recreational fishing for parbeagle sharks. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Mitchell. David Mitchell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, good, good to hear you. Um, listen, before we get with all the uh, other stuff, congratulations on the smooth out. What a what a fish! Oh yeah, yeah, that was fa- fantastic. Yeah, I've had quite a lot of fun th- this summer fishing for smooth hounds in uh, my part of the the North Kent coast yeah. um, here in England. Wow, um, how big one! I didn't have any scales with me, but um, based on the other ones I've caught, it was around around about fifteen pounds. Wow! Um, so it was good fun fishing in my um, my new boat um, in some very shallow water, which makes mm-hmm. it good fun. We're only fishing in about uh, five or six meters of water oh, wow. around there, so um, it makes it makes it good fun. And you caught it off your own boat. Yeah, I bought a boat um, this spring, uh, so I, I I've been launching it, trailering it, and launching it from different spots. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, with a friend of mine, um, and so he's my fishing buddy, and and we've been uh, fishing together um, around the yeah the North Kent coast this summer. With the... the reason I'm asking is because we, that was something that like uh, it's it's something that showed up on the on the podcast many times. That if you're going with the, with a charter boat skipper, it's like always oh, this question. Are you? Did you really caught that fish, or did the skipper actually put you on the fish? But this is like a proper stuff. You had your own boat. You actually caught that that fish. Yeah, from start. Yeah, to it was all done all done by by us. Um, so yeah, pretty pleased to um, to start catching the smooth hounds. Uh, I guess they'll start thinning out now if they haven't already in in early September. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we might get a few more, but we might have to wait now until next year. Dave, listen, um, so you're, you're an active member and you're hosting uh, a, a role in two angling organizations. And this is, this is very interesting to me because uh, quite often I talk about the need of, of, of advocacy for angling and some organizations that are actually um, 
you know, representing anglers and, and have a voice for anglers. So you are a head of marine in Angling's Trust. That's right, the Angling Trust. And you're also and you're also a board member in, in European Anglers Alliance. That's right, yeah. So so could you could you just uh, explain for our listeners what those organizations are, what they do, and and what is your role in, in yeah, sure. So the Angling Trust is the national representative body for all angling in England. Uh, it was formed 10 years ago, so we're celebrating our, our 10th anniversary uh, this year. Um, it was formed through the merger of a num- number of other angling organisations uh, in England. Um, and uh, yeah, it represents sea, course and game angling in England. So I, uh, I guess the, the summary of the backstory is the government wanted to talk to one organisation and for angling to speak with one voice, because historically there'd been a lot of organisations with a different position, yes. and it made it difficult for the government to listen to us, and it also made it difficult for anglers to be convincing um, when they had different organisations with, with different positions. Absolutely. So sorry to cut you off, but this is this is... Super interesting to me. So is that the government that actually reached out to all those organizations and said like, hey, folks, you, 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 need to, you need to speak one voice because we can deal with you that way? Or was it the movement from kind of from inside those organizations uh, to yeah. kind of get into the one? Well, I mean, I wasn't um, involved at the time. But what, from what I understand, it was a, it was a bit of both. It was the government saying, "Listen, we you know we'd much rather um, be able to speak to you with with, uh, with one organisation representing all your interests." But it was also the angling community recognising that that made made a lot more sense, and that um, if, if everyone was brought together under one banner, we'd have a much stronger voice as one. So I I, I think that was the that was the the background to it, and. Um, yeah, and so ten years later, the Angling Trust has grown stronger um, and larger, and we are, um, yeah, we are, we are now celebrating ten years of having been a unified, a single unified body representing all anglers across uh, across England. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, that's 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 really awesome news because this yeah. is one of the well, this is one of the problems that I see in 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 other you know organizations that there is all of a sudden many of them. And and what's worse, sometimes it happens that some of them are, you know, have an adversary relation with others, and that just creates the mess. It's, it's super counterproductive. So uh, I I am, you know, very interested. How how was it that those organizations could speak to each other and say like, hey, let's merge? And and there was, you know, that's, that's well, a great it, story. it took a, it it took an enormous amount of negotiations, diplomacy. Um, uh, over over a long period of time to make it happen, it wasn't easy. Um, some organisations didn't join, um, but it, we achieved it. And to still um, be the unified body ten years later, a lot of people would have said that 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 we we wouldn't have lasted that long, and they they didn't hold out. But um, it's been a, it, you know it's been a real success story for um, angling in England to have a, a single unified body. And through my role on the European Anglers Alliance, which I'll come to mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. second, yeah, I completely agree with you. There are 
real problems across other countries with organizations, um, well, angling in general that has multiple organizations um, and they, they fight between each other and the internal politics is, is horrendous. And yeah, um, um, yeah it, it, you know, it's, it's a real problem. So uh, any organization that can have a, have a single unified voice, you know, like um, most other sports, to be honest, if you look at um, uh, other sports, uh, if you consider angling to be a sport, which we do because we're, we're funded by Sport England to uh, in- increase um, angling activity. Um, so in that sense, if you look at something like British Cycling or other organisations which have a single um, national representative body, uh, and then, of course, you can think of other sports where they've splintered off in, into setting up separate um, national organisations um, and, and they've, they've tended to infight between each other and they've, bro- they've yeah. broken down the unified representation of that sport by having separate um, leading bodies. So yes. um, it, it makes a lot of sense and it's something that we're, we're very proud of at the Angling Trust is that we do represent all anglers. Um, and what happened to those organizations that didn't join? Are they, are they still around or they were just like a push into, into you know, insignificant? Um, yeah, they're, they're still, well, many of them are still around. Um, some of them have changed. Uh, some of them have since come on board with the Angling Trust over the intervening years because they've seen, oh. they've seen the benefits. It, it maybe took them a little bit longer mm-hmm. or they needed some personnel mm-hmm. changes. Um to, to make it happen or, or whatever. There's a whole manner of different reasons. So we're pleased that many of the other organizations have since come on board. Um, and some of the others, yes, yeah, a whole, a whole myriad of different, uh, of different reasons. Um, some of them are still in existence and some of them may have folded um, and everything in between. Um, but we're now repre- more representative than we were um, in the early years because we've got more of those, more of those bodies joined up. And we hope that there's more to come in time. Um, so we have to demonstrate our worth and demonstrate the value of unity um, and then make the case to these organisations that it's still uh, it's still worth um, joining with us to become, um, you know, to have a single unified voice where we all benefit from shared shared resources and, and having a, a more powerful voice when it comes to talking to policymakers. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I suppose, especially, you know, these days where everything is so highly political and, and um, subjects around nature and, and interacting with the nature are, can be quite, quite, quite uh, controversial at times. It's, it's super important to, to be recognized by the government yeah. as the one body that represents everybody. It's like, okay, we talk to these guys rather than like, oh, we don't even have a partner to talk to. Exactly. So when it comes to the European Anglers Alliance, you can apply uh, the same thing um, just at a EU level. So the the European Anglers Alliance is a um, pan-European uh, re- representative body for anglers across Europe. Um, I believe we have about 16 member states represented, uh, and that represents something, uh, um, so many million, I can't remember now, I'm afraid offhand, but so many uh, million anglers across Europe. We have a... Um, Do you remember off top of your head, if, is Ireland one of them? I'm afraid not, no. Ireland used to be for a very long time, um, but uh, I, I, Ireland is, uh, is, 
ha- suffered some problems with its national representative body and is currently um, no longer a member. The Anglian Council of Ireland was uh, was a member and had always been a very strong representative of the European Angles Alliance. So we're very keen in the in the near future for Ireland to become a member again. Um, um, so so we're, we're represented very strongly at the moment by Northern European countries, not so much by uh, by Southern, although we have members from Italy and Slovenia. Um, and we're well represented in Scandinavia. Um, the Angling Trust is a member, um, and we have a, a permanent lobbyist, Jan Kappel, who works for us. He's based in Brussels, um, mm-hmm. and we have the work is really directed by two subgroups: the Sea Subgroup and the Freshwater Subgroup, mm-hmm. who um, work on mm-hmm. a whole manner of issues which are um, which are to do really with e- EU policy. So uh, the Common Fisheries Policy um, in freshwater. There's a lot of work around hydropower, uh, cormorants, the impact of cormorants. Um, and we've been, we've, been, we've been very successful over recent years. We, we launched uh, an inter, uh, well, not an intergroup, a forum in the um, European Parliament. And we have a team of lobbyists who work for us. Um, they're um, based in Brussels as well through a, a third-party lobbying organisation who work for us on... European parliamentary issues. So they work with MEPs on various things. Um, at the moment, issues to do with, say, the control regulation um, and the technical regulations mm-hmm. through the, the common fisheries policy. So um, we, wow. we a lot of the European work we do um, is led by the European Angus Alliance. Um, and we have very good contacts within the, the parliament and the commission um, so we're able to to go to Brussels, sit down with officials, and and explain our position, which gives us very mm-hmm. it's very good access. Um, and also, um, the the Commission is very keen to talk to the anglers, and they see the European Anglers Alliance yeah. as the repre- the single representative body. You know, they don't want to be having to have separate meetings with separate groups of anglers. And so we we are the the, the leading organisation representing the interests of members of the public who go who, who go recreational angling sure and and, and listen so the question that jumps straight at me is um do you find your during those conversations uh with with bodies and regulations and you know i, I presume where there's a discussion about the fisheries and fishing quotas you you have a sit at the table do you find yourself kind of between stuck between the rock and the hard place. I mean, between, on one end, uh, interest of commercial fisheries uh, pulling one direction, and on the other hand, uh, NGOs who are pulling the other direction. <laughs> is, is, is like, so, so I'm trying to figure out whether in the spectrum, you know, like in, if, you, if, if you imagine the spectrum, like on one end, you have a hardcore commercial fisheries who wants to be, have a big quota and, and fish everything. On the other hand, you have NGOs who wants to stop any sort of fishing and any sort of sticking Sharpie hook into their fish. Where on that spectrum Anglers Alliance sits and, and do you find it difficult? Yeah, okay. So this is a really interesting question. Um, we sit on um, many of the advisory councils for the, the common fisheries policy. Um, these are based around the, the different sea areas 
And the objective of them when they were set up was to provide the commission with advice, um, which would inform their policy or their proposals for fishing. Um, and, and in short, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is always conflict between the fishing industry, uh, the NGOs, um, and where angling fits in has always been a problem as well, because traditionally we were considered to be part of the, the NGO sector, um, which is now called something else. It's called the uh, other interest groups. Oh. Um, and... Uh, we consider that well. We consider ourselves really to, to yeah to be part, more part of the catching sector. Mm-hmm. If we weren't part of the catching sector, why would we be subject to bag limits, mm-hmm. to data collection and, and control? Yes. But of course, the in, the fishing industry doesn't want us to be considered part of the catching sector because that causes problems for them mm-hmm. in terms of sharing resources. Uh-huh. Um, and the NGO sector doesn't really consider us to be. Uh, part of the NGO sector either because they do see us as part of the catching sector uh-huh. and the problem as I see it is that recreational fishing has never had its own recognized seat at the table we're not recognized as part of the fishing sector uh, we're not pr- properly recognized um, as part of the NGO sector and so we've kind of fallen fallen into a no man's land in the middle mm-hmm. um, and one of the the greatest steps forward would be formal recognition of recreational fishing in its own right yeah um as a, va- a valuable and large stakeholder that yeah. that has its own its own interests we're not part of the uh of the commercial catching sector and we have no interest in having discussions about stocks and species which are of no interest to anglers um yeah. but similarly when when we do um, want to have a discussion about a stock or a species which is which is of high importance and high value to recreational fishing we want to be considered in in our own right and not simply forced to adopt the position of a, of an environmental ngo mm-hmm. um uh, so it, it, it it's a problem and until the advisory councils um change to recognize this uh it's very difficult to work work effectively uh within them um Although I would say that they have uh, great trouble operating or functioning as they were intended to anyway, because there's this con- constant conflict um, between NGOs and the industry, which often leads to little advice actually being produced or being published and given to the commission. Um, and more often than not, there are disagreements and the end result is a very short paper saying that no one could come to any agreement <laughs> on the subject, and, uh, and 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 that's the that's the unhelpful advice that gets presented to the commission. Yeah. So um, I, I'm I'm quite critical about the advisory councils and how they function, um, but I'm you know very happy to um, back up these criticisms um, with you know evidence. Um, having been involved over the last ten years, about how they, how they, how they, how they're dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, so right now, angling is not recognized as, as a you know recreational angling. It's just other group of interest, which is, uh, as far as I uh, understand what you're saying, kind of weakening a position a little bit 
Yeah, I mean, re recreational fishing is being recognised more and more and more, um, which overall it, it is a, is definitely a good thing because we 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 will get a, a seat at the table. Some people will say, "Well, we 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 should, you know, why are you raising the profile?" Um, we cannot win any argument um, by hiding un, un, under the bed and pretending we we don't exist. So there are people that 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 think that we sh that 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 we should kind of like we as an angler, so I'm saying we should uh, kind of keep a low profile and not not raise our heads just in case. Is is that a sentiment that some people express? Um, yeah, I mean it's understandable. Like I I can completely understand the 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 reasoning behind that. But let me tell you through through my experience, um, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that that is not a solution yeah. and does not lead to a positive outcome for for angling in the future uh in the short term it may do but in the long term it, nothing good can uh, can come from that because it's it's not sustainable it's not a lo long-term solution to simply hide and pretend that uh if we don't make a noise no one will notice we're there oh of course we're gonna be run over otherwise yeah um, and we're well beyond that anyway so um yeah, it, it, it's it's a case of making making sure that we are heard and that we're heard positively and that, and that we're recognised as legitimate, genuine stakeholders. Um, yeah. Just a, a bit of ba a background to where we've come from on that. Mm -hmm. um, some colleagues of mine uh, ten years ago went to the commission when angling really wasn't wasn't recognised mm -hmm. to meet with the then um, commissioner. Um, Joe Borg, who was responsible for fisheries, and I believe his first comment to them on walking into the room was, I don't know why I'm talking to you. As far as we're concerned, recreational angling doesn't exist. Ha! Yes, that's a, that, that kind of describes the problem in the full. So we've come a long way since then. We, we, we've, we've come a very long way, but you can see that when you're starting off um, uh, from a place where by the commission says you're invisible. We 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 don't even we don't even um, recognize y your validity at all. Um, it it kind of takes quite some considerable time to overturn that, and and it's not going to happen overnight. And there will be some setbacks, and um, you know we may get knocked knocked over once or twice, but the general direction of travel um, has been a very positive one. And has taken a lot of hard work um, to get to where we are now, which is on the cusp of being formally recognised um, as a, a valid a stakeholder, and for members of the public to be given, um, uh, you know, gi given their their rights, which is to have a say on how their publicly owned fish stocks uh, are managed. I'm afraid in Europe we've we've got things very mixed up. Mm. Um, it, it, compared to other parts of the world where the, the last people in Europe to have a say about how the stocks are managed are the owners, um, and that's the public. In other parts of the world, the first people to have a say um, and to be granted access are the public and the owners. And so somehow in Europe, we've managed to get things um, very mixed up. Do you share the do you share the view that the the American model is is probably the, the the best one? Yeah, we take a lot of inspiration from other parts of the world. New Zealand is another another excellent example. Um, 
and uh, and 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 we've been doing a lot of work over the course of the last couple of years, um, highlighting best practice from other parts of the world, the the New Zealand Fisheries Act, um, uh, and the U.S. Magnuson Stevens yes. Conservation and Fisheries Act as well are, are, are examples of um, of best practice in terms of managing fisheries and re- recognizing recreational fishing. Yes. So, so David, tell me, is, is that a full-time job that you're doing or are you managing all that and have a day job in, as well? Uh, no, I work full-time for the Angling Trust. Perfect. Um, the work I do for the European Anglers Alliance is, is part of my work for the Angling Trust. Mm-hmm. We, we, the Angling Trust pays a membership fee to be a member of EAA. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of our work... Um, at a European level, obviously, ultimately benefits um, our members here in in England. Um, so it's yeah, it's very much full time. It's, it's 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 fantastic. It's fantastic because the, you know you're just right out of the get go. The amount of of uh, work that that both organizations are doing, you're, you're described. It was like immediate, like whoa, how's like it's it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work where we we don't have a lot of resources. Um, we we don't have a lot of a lot of money, um, but it's it's a it's a lot of work. Um, and I, I've been doing this now since 2010. Um, so um, yeah, it, it, it's you know I I thoroughly enjoy what I do, um, and you know I'm passionate um, about it. So it it, it gives me uh, you know a reason to get up in the morning, and uh, and to keep fighting, um, because it's something I I believe in. Yeah, it's, it's 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 fantastic, and you know, I I really can't imagine a a a better job for enthusiasts. You know, uh, someone who who hunts or fish or or do any activity just just to kind of work advocating for that activity. So so tell me, Dave, how how did you how did you get there? How how did it happen that you're that you're like working full time on on uh, anglers advocacy? Um, well, uh, the job just became available. It was just, um, in the initial stages, I'm just good luck, really. Um, I mean, I've always been an angler. Um, I trained, uh, as a student, um, as an environmental scientist. So I had a background in, 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 in science and understanding of, 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 um, of science, which, um, has proved to be very useful because I do spend a lot of time, um, poring over um, scientific reports and trying to understand um, uh, advice from ICs and all sorts of fishery, fisheries um, science. Um, so that came in useful. And also I, I then retrained some years earlier as a journalist. Uh, and I'd been working as a freelance, mainly on, on consumer sports and food titles. Um, so I had a combination of uh, the experience and knowledge of of angling, um, communications from being uh, being a journalist and knowing how to how to write, how to communicate with people, but also the scientific understanding as well. And the three skills came together in a very nice package, which which meant I was yeah. um, I was able to um, to interpret science, communicate it to anglers, um, and also be be passionate um, about what I do and also patient um, is not is not not been easy um, you know very slow progress and dealing with 
with anglers who might think that we're not we're not doing the right thing or we're not doing it quickly enough or whatever so um i you know i've i've learned an enormous amount over the last 10 years um but that yeah that's how how i I came to be doing it it was simply applying for a vacancy i had no um no i had no um inroad to the angling trust um oh but you but you just how you described you you had a like a perfect package of skill set that that you you know it's hard to imagine Uh, well it, it, it was useful yeah to be honest i never thought i'd use my um environmental science uh degree um so i i guess it's useful for for other for other people maybe young people who are who are studying um it took me 10 really 10 years to come back around to using it again and for it to be relevant um so even if there are there are people out there students who are studying something that think that they're not going to use or it's not going to be useful or they go into a job where where they're not using it and they think oh well that was a waste of time and money you never know because in my case it took a while but eventually it came around um again and it and it proved to be really useful so that's a kind of lesson in life is to you know everything that you study and you learn you may not use it immediately um but it doesn't mean to say that at some point in your life in the future um things might change circumstances might change and you'll find that actually you're very glad that 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 you studied it because uh, it's become um useful in getting a new job or whatever it might be yeah absolutely and and listen so your choice of the of this uh, environmental study i presume it was related to your your passion for nature and and, and it, it's connected with the fact that you're an angler right um in part i mean i was always um interested in uh the environment um i i i grew up doing a lot of field sports a lot of shooting as well as fishing um and uh really i was just interested in um in in a wide range of um environmental issues um you know, for some time I thought, well, maybe I should, I'd rather have studied fishery science or oceanography or something like that. But um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So it was a subject that gave me a broad knowledge and understanding of um, many, many things, um, rather than focusing too specifically on, in, in one area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Dave, so what are the, what do you, what are the like, current campaigns or, or issues that, that you guys are working on? Yeah. So what we, <clears throat> excuse me, what we do is try and define what our priorities are um, over the kind of next 12 to 18 months. Um, and that's based on, you know, what's important to anglers, what we can achieve, what we have the resources to do. Um, so that we make sure that we're effective um, and that we're campaigning on things which uh, which our membership believes is important, but also issues where we, we really can have an impact. Um, one of the current campaigns we're working on is to do with bluefin tuna. Oh. Uh, there's been a huge increase in the presence of, of tuna in uh, waters around the southwest, mm-hmm. Uh of England as well as Wales, and and they're now being seen in Scotland as well. So we've been working uh, closely with uh, a project, a government-funded tagging project, mm-hmm. um, and this year we've been successful in helping to 
secure the involvement of anglers um, who can uh, who can fish on registered support vessels. Mm-hmm. Um, experienced anglers um, can be chosen; they can they can apply mm-hmm. and be chosen to to fish on these support vessels to help mm-hmm. uh, the tagging project. So, are these anglers or vessels licensed? Because I think that in Ireland there was like a like a fifteen or five or fifteen vessels. Yeah. It's- it's a different approach. It's a different approach to the Irish model. So, uh-huh. it's smaller in scale. So, um, the vessels which are suitable for being able to um, to do the the work effectively are chosen by the project, um, uh, or apply and are chosen by the project team. And then anglers who have a sufficient experience in catching big fish or fishing for tuna mm-hmm. can apply as well um, to to um, be registered to fish on these vessels and support the uh, the tagging team. So it, it's allowed angler involvement, albeit in, a, in in quite a limited scope at the moment, but it's progress. And ultimately, we hope to establish a, a recreational um, live release bluefin tuna fishery here in the UK with all the associated benefits that would have for coastal communities yeah. and tourism, as well as data and, and science and better understanding of um, of where these fish are coming from and where they're going. That's that's one of our our campaigns that that, that we're they're working on. Uh, we've also been spending an, a lot of time campaigning to ensure that recreational fishing is is properly recognised in the new UK Fisheries Bill, which uh, has actually just fallen due to yeah. um, Parliament coming to an end. Um, so we hope that the, the plans for a new fisheries bill will be announced in the next um, Queen's speech uh, and, and the, pr- the proposals will be taken forward again. But we had some real success in making sure that recreational fishing was properly recognised in the bill and uh, and getting proposals for it to qualify for funding as well for uh, development uh, participation which is something that we would never have been able to achieve through the common fisheries policy. So that, that's taken a lot of a lot of lobbying, a lot of work um, over the last 18 months. And uh, we, were, we were very sad to see the, the recent bill fall because a lot of our hard work um, has ultimately come to a, a, a juddering halt. But um, uh, we we're pretty confident that the, that the bill, a bill, will be um, resubmitted in for the Queen's speech and we'll be back on track, albeit um, probably still with another 12 months um, yeah. to get to get the thing through Parliament. But that, that, that will be a game changer. Um, that will really set the scene for a whole and different way of, of managing fish stocks in the UK and, and a different attitude towards uh, recreational fishing. So... I think that's the single most important thing that we that we that we hope to achieve. So listen, uh, let's 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 hold the let's hold the thought about bluefin tuna for a second because I want to go back to that. Yeah. But I, I I cannot not ask about the elephant in the room, which is Brexit, and how this how do you are, are surely you guys have a a plan what to do and what's going to happen. And since you're involved also on the European level, I'm sure this discussion uh, come up. So is is this going to be massive negative impact on, on, on for anglers uh, in, the, in, the, in the UK? Or maybe you're going to be more 
you know, maybe it's going to be easier for you to, to push some some regulations or, or to push some some agendas because it's going to be like smaller without the, the, the big EU. So where, where you sit from the angler's perspective? Well, I mean, it, it's a mixed bag, really, I guess you could call it. So, I mean, for instance, having a fish, uh, UK fisheries bill where we're able to explicitly in, include and recognize and fund recreational fishing is a massive opportunity for us. That's a very positive development. Um, A negative is that, you know, we're going to have less influence over the management of some of our fish stocks um, by not being members of the the EU. Um, We're not going to be able to influence what the EU does with stocks, which spend, you know, significant amounts of time in our waters. Um, Anglers might think, oh, well, we we won't have to abide by um, the EU's bag limits um, or data collection. But there's no evidence yet to suggest that the the UK won't uh, also apply or be be required through negotiations with the EU to apply similar measures on recreational fishing for bass, for instance, uh, and data collection. Um, So, you know, there's there's a lot of misinformation out there. and that it, it, like with everything else with Brexit, it's a very complicated picture. It's it's multifaceted, yeah. and it's in it's nothing is straightforward. So there are some 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 benefits um, to be had in terms of uh, of being able to have a bill which explicitly have a law which explicitly recognises us and allows recreational fishing to to develop. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, it's not necessarily going to result in any more fish um, or any better fishing opportunities unless we're able to to communicate and effectively work and negotiate with the rest of the of the EU because so many of our stocks are shared um, yes. and um, and also uh, we as anglers deal exclusively um, with inshore waters almost exclusively. So negotiations uh, and uh, about uh, uh, access to additional um, stocks of, of of pelagic species, which might be caught two two hundred miles out in, in the North Sea, is really of no of no concern to us, and um, di- well, no concern to anglers directly. Similarly, um, the discussions around um, access for other member states' vessels. Um, coming into the UK waters, you know, it, 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 it's easy to, to, to take a very simplified approach to saying no to that. No, we don't want them. But from an angler's point of view, as long as the stock is being fished sustainably, what does it matter if it's a French or a Belgian vessel or a UK vessel catching the fish? It, in terms of the, the, the total removal of that stock, uh, it really makes no difference. Yes. And if there are stocks that could be fished sustainably in UK waters, which the UK fleet doesn't have any interest in catching because they don't have a market to sell it to, I don't see why we shouldn't uh, lease yeah. the rights to fishing for that to another member state if they want to pay us for the privilege of fishing uh, for that stock and are doing so sustainably and we're not fishing for it, then uh, it, it would appear to me in a personal capacity to make sense to allow them to do that if the UK benefits ultimately from um, from allowing them to have access. 
So, you know, that, that may not be a, a, a popular view, but I guess amongst anglers, but I guess the point is um, you really need a thorough understanding of what you're talking about to weigh up the pros and cons of Brexit. And I guess yeah. uh, in a nutshell, yeah. uh, that's been the problem with Brexit is that ev- on every level of en- every industry, anything you can think about, um, it's complicated, very complicated. And the simplistic view yeah. of in or out, doing it ourselves and not being part of this EU kind of mega state, as people might call it, is just, uh, it, it is so un- unbelievably complex um that um there is yeah. there is really um a lot of time that could be spent making sure that people are fully aware of the facts the pros and the cons um and fisheries is just one example sure no so so, so that, that, that's that's fine you know um i was just trying to gauge you know whether whether it's an attitude of like oh my god it's gonna be a disaster or like so this is there is no extreme uh views on that is like 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 everything in the world like some some are good some are bad and you know yeah i mean there there are there are opportunities but i guess at the moment um with the fisheries bill falling the biggest danger now is leaving the european union with no deal because that would leave us with no no fishing policy whatsoever no policy on quotas no policy on uh access rights um, no market to sell um, to export fish to. Um, so, so this would really yeah. be um, the the worst possible um, outcome. Um, yeah. Listen. So, so uh, let's go back. Are there any any other campaigns or, or issues that that are that are worth mentioning, or are we pretty much done? Uh, yeah, um, we, we work on a, on on a whole. Um, uh, manner of different uh, things uh, at, at different levels. So just a few other examples. There, there are proposals at the moment for highly protected marine areas in the UK, which might mean restricting fishing. So we're working with the team, um, uh, the government team. The, one of our former fisheries ministers, Richard Bennion, is leading uh, a team looking at this. So we're helping to engage anglers with that team so that they can provide their mm-hmm. views on um, the impact that highly protected marine areas might have. Um, so we're bringing bringing anglers together with with officials and um, and members of parliament to 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 help them have their voice heard in that discussion. Uh, and we're working on issues to do with uh, with sharks and shark fishing. Um, and so we, we have... are you guys engaged with Shark Trust because Shark Trust is one of the NGOs that they're quite quite strong yeah so um we we will be in the future we've the the shark fishing club of great britain um has Mm -hmm. recently joined the angling trust so we've had some good good uh, conversations with 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 them over recent months um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah we're working on a number of issues to do with with the sustainability of, of shark shark fishing and also data collection on on how anglers can help gather more information on yeah. on on sharks in UK waters in in order to help help science and help ultimately help management of these species. Um, yeah, uh, and so, yeah. So this is just a, a number of the campaigns that we're working on in in sea angling, and obviously we have a whole uh, um, number of other campaigns as well in in uh, in uh, freshwater. Um, we have a, a voluntary bailiff service. 
Uh, we do a lot of work on predators, cormorants, um, water quality and pollution, um, and uh, uh, policy to do with uh, agriculture, which obviously has a, a large impact on uh, on 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 uh, land management, farming, and, and water quality. So we we have an enormous amount going on in a, in a very wide range of, of policy areas, um, and uh, yeah, it, 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 we we'll be publishing our our membership magazine um, in the next month or so, and um, it'll it'll give everyone a really uh, a good insight into the current campaigns that, that that we're working on. Sure. Okay, let's let's go back. So thanks for that and let's go back now to the to the more of a on a on a fish side. So we kind of uh, dive quite deep in the political side of it. Uh, now let's talk about a little bit of fish. So I want to go back to fishing and uh, uh, bluefin tuna. What's your well, I don't know whether it's your view or maybe you have access to some data. Um, is that recent appearance a reappearance of the of the bluefin tuna around british isles um do you think it's related to actual increase in stocks meaning that some conservation measures were successful or does it look like it's just a displacement of the population due to the you know changing climate or whatever it might be and just there's as as many or as as little if you like bluefin tunas as they were except they were kind of pushed more uh, mm. to the north, and that's why they are re- reappearing here. Yeah, well, I, I think certainly um, that's why the, the, the tagging project is taking place, to try and answer some of these questions. Mm. Um, at the moment, I, I guess the simpler answer is we, we don't know, and that's why um, why the, 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 the tagging is taking place, to try and get some answers or, 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 or begin getting some answers to these questions. Yeah. Um, um, my, in my opinion, I think it's probably, it's probably a bit of both. Um, you know, I, I, I'm quite happy to be proved wrong when the, when the science is published, but I, I think the stock has been recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, it also might be the case that changing sea temperatures have shifted the distribution of, of, of the, of the stock as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of, of the two. Um, there's there's been a a huge influx uh, of bl- massive bluefin tuna into the Baltic as well. Um, yeah. Really? So, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there are huge numbers of fish now in the in the Baltic, um, uh, and there's a tagging uh, project that's now in its second year in Sweden. Uh, the Danes have been tagging as well. Um, and the Norwegians are seeing uh, a, a large numbers of fish as well. So, um, what we don't know is whether the fish in the off the coast of England are part of the same stock or, or part of the same yeah. um, age group. Um, and so, uh, we really, until we we get the the science, we we don't know. But in my personal opinion, I think it I think it's probably a bit of both. And um, the changing sea temperature uh, is shifting. Um, shifting the distribution of other species um, and having an impact on uh, where the where the predators um, such as bluefin tuna are now are now moving. So um, I think it's a, probably a combination of of things. There's no single. There's no one 
uh, reason why they've returned. Well, yeah. I say return. Yeah. Um, they've returned to the UK, but there were never tuna in this, these sorts of numbers um, off the coast of Cornwall in the southwest in the past. So right. the, the, in, in, this is a completely new fishery. The, the fish... Yeah. So that would that would indicate that it's probably changing temperature, right? Um, that's my guess. Yeah, that's my guess. There are there are vast numbers of small pelagic fish uh, in the southwest um, at the moment. Um, sprats and uh, herrings and mackerel and whiting, and when all these fish come together at this time of year, uh, it, it creates a massively abundant food source for the uh, tuna. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's likely to be uh, to do with that as well. But of course, that in itself is, is probably a function of uh, changing sea temperatures and climate change. Yeah. Is the climate change then part of, because obviously climate change is a big, big subject, you know, all over the media and, and in general. Is, is, the, is that the impacts of the changing climate a part of, or, or how significant part of, of work for you know those both organizations, Angling Trust and European Angles Alliance, kind of gauging the impact in or or is it something like you know you're more focused on actual uh, you know being recognized as a group of interest rather than on this kind of environment? Yeah, um, I mean that's a really interesting question. Um, climate change is going to have a real impact on uh, fisheries. Um, in the future, we're already beginning to see um, the changes in distribution of stocks. Um, where I live here in in the southeast of England, cod, North Sea cod, have almost totally disappeared, um, uh, and mackerel um, as well. Um, yeah, and the cod is is a significant fish economically, right? Well, it, 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 it used to be, yeah, it used to be. Um, and, and we're seeing the movement in of, of, uh, of other species, warmer water species. Um, but some of those may not be so productive, um, you know, in terms of com compared to cod, uh, we could see other species moving into the Southern North Sea, which are more kind of uh, Mediterranean in nature. Um, so there will be changes, um, and I think, you know, obviously we as an organisation can't do anything to, to stop this um, other than, you know, um, campaign along with everyone else to, to try and limit the impacts by reducing uh, carbon emissions, etc. But in the, in the short to medium term, um, we, can't, we can't do anything about it, but we can recognise and, and and predict what what some of the outcomes and the changes might be um and that means making people aware that yeah your fishing may well change now there may be opportunities that come from that which are quite positive distribution of warmer water species um uh and there may be maybe some some big downsides you know pro productivity might go go down um and you simply won't see uh, the number of the the the, the, the um you know, the fisheries in some areas will just generally be less productive. Um, so we, we can help try and kind of raise awareness of this to people and make sure that they're, they're conscious that, you know, this will happen. It, it is beginning to happen already and we can see it. Um, and that, 
um, you know, they just might want to be aware that um, things are, are not going to stay the same. Um, uh, but that doesn't necessarily always lead. I mean, obviously, the the, the ultimate um, raising of sea temperatures and, and climate change is, is um, you know, is a chronically bad thing. But in, in, in purely in terms of fisheries, we have to see that um, we will adapt and there will be changes um, to the, the pattern of, of fishing um, all across the, all across the globe. But certainly we've seen in, in the in the UK that the southern North Sea is warming up a fast um, and faster than the rest of the North Sea. And it's having an impact on 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 the distribution of, of stocks. Um, so, yeah, like I say, it's 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 something that we can't do a lot about, but it's something that we can educate anglers about and raise awareness, raise awareness of um, the likely impact it will have on their fishing and their, you know, their children's fishing in, in years and decades to come. Yeah. And is there like the, in, in general, uh, I presume you're also doing some work in terms of conservation and, and raising awareness of, uh, you know, in, in general, because would you agree, maybe that's a question, would you agree that overall the state of seas, I'm asking specifically about the seas, because you, you obviously, that's, that's your area, over last decade is, is in a decline in terms of fish stocks and, and everything. Is, is that something you would, you would agree with that assessment? Um, overall, I think it's a very difficult question to answer. There are stocks which um, are now um, improving or at least being fished at sustainable levels. Um, you know, North Sea cod, for instance, was, um, was on the up. And was improving and is now back in a in a in a very precarious situation, um, but uh, and and you know bass has been heavily overfished, but but it's now improving. Um, so the science the science will say one thing. Um, I think the general perspective from from anglers um, is probably uh, yeah that things declined. I mean certainly over a longer time span than ten years, um, the view is that you know, um, the quality of fishing, the distribution of, of stocks um, has declined terribly over uh, a much longer period of time. Um, and, and in the last 10 years, there have been some, some improvements. Um, uh, uh, it, uh, so it's, a, it, it's really a mixed, a mixed picture, depending on what stocks you're talking about and, and where you are. Um, but uh, yeah, in the North Sea here, um, the uh, I I really feel that the yeah that the, the Southern North Sea at the moment is terribly depleted. Um, we have some 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 good some good fishing, but the the number of species and the, the distribution I can't help thinking that it's um, it's a shadow of its former self and, and of what it should be. But um, I I don't have the time span. I don't have the length of uh, a fishing experience over that many decades to be able to compare it against what used to be. Um, and uh, so it's difficult for me to say. It is, it is, you, do you think it is to do with, due to overfishing, the, the, that, that decline? Uh, yeah, I mean, overfishing has played a massive part, but a habitat loss and pollution um, as well. You know, the, the, the oyster beds that we used to have around here, all gone 
Uh, if you think about the billions and billions of gallons of water which could filtered every day by by um, bivalves such as uh, oysters yeah. and the habitat, the um, the the reef habitat that 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 the shells create for different species. I mean, it's all gone. So we just have mud, really. Um, mud and mud's not very productive and doesn't support high amounts of biodiversity so you look out to the sea and you can often think yeah you know fishing's not too bad but i think if you were standing there 150 years ago uh you wouldn't have been able to recognize it because it would have been so so much more diverse and so much more productive yes and and is there a part like you know, because we we going into we wading into the a, a conservation uh, discussion, and and this is also uh, interesting to me because you know on one end, there are, like I like like usual, there's there the conversation is quite complex, and this is quite complex because on one end, obviously recreational anglers are stakeholders in fish stocks, and they naturally want to protect them, want those fish stocks to be diverse, want to have a better age class of fish, better size of fish. And, and so they're, you know, in, 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 in theory at least, or in practice in many cases, are on the, on the conservation side, on the right side, I'm making air quotes right now. Uh, now, there, there is a, a, also uh, a, a, a conflict where uh, obviously there are others who are, like you said, we are part of catching sector. So at the end of the day, we might end up of removing fish from the environment, either removing them by taking them for the table or through the mortality rates, through catch and release, because as we know, catch and release is not like 100% survival. Um, and, and, and here is, you know, coming all the more, let's say, uh, extreme NGOs and uh, I, I, I have I, I think I even noticed that in, in one of your 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 tweets I think about some anti-angling um, sentiments who are uh, perceiving anglers as as people who are actually you know against the conservation they destroying the fish and whatever how this uh, this 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 conservation uh, issue and conflict. Uh, plays out in your view how where where how anglers are perceived and where they are on that spectrum um yeah it's a good question um and it's it's not a, a straightforward one to answer um i think um uh anglers are users of fisheries um we are part of the catching sector but we're also um very many of us uh, or many anglers are very passionate conservationists because um, their sport relies on it uh, ultimately um, and because they understand that um, we need to have healthy productive seas um, for you know for fishing to continue um, you know, anglers play a, a, a have a have a pretty in most cases, insignificant impact on stocks in a um at a, at a stock level um in some cases it's 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 statistically significant um and may warrant um inclusion in in, in management measures but um can you give an example of the of the of the stocks that is statistically significant for for 
Angular syntax? Yeah, I mean, um, it, 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 yeah, it's complicated as well. So I guess at the moment, um, anglers in the Baltic are being told that their, their catches of cod, recreational angling for cod is significant. But I guess uh, our argument is that that's only because the stock's been so massively overfished that the catch by anglers yes. that was totally insignificant is now seen to be significant because the stock is so small. So you see how it's not a, it's not a straightforward picture. Um, yes. Yes. You know, 40 years ago, um, anglers in the UK caught 100% of, of bass. Their impact was on the stock was was a hundred percent of the catch rate, but of course that was when the yes. catch rate was tiny, and the stock was yes. you know abundant and and almost a, a virgin stock because because no one else was fishing on it. Um, now anglers are responsible for something like ten percent or less of the of the catch rate. I forget what the most recent ICs uh, update is on on the impact of. Uh, of angling on on bass at an EU level, um, but we've been told, oh, it's it's significant because the stock's in such a bad bad state. Everyone has to chip in and make their effort to 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 make it recover. So it, it's it's yeah. a it's a fine balance we have to tread between conservation and the rights of anglers um, as uh, as fishermen who are having an impact on on the stock. And it's not an, always an easy one to, uh, to you know, to, to find that balance. Um, uh, and, it, and it does cause conflict. Uh, so you, you just have to make the, 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 the decision um, on a case-by-case -case basis. But I think um, that any organisations which would, would like to portray um, you know, angling as being anti-conservation um, really need to consider um, how many of the members of the general population of any country go fishing um, and, and ask yes. them if they consider themselves to be anti-conservation. Um, um, and when we have three, you know, three million people in the UK who go fishing and, and care about the health of our rivers and our seas and our fish stocks and our, and our, and our bird life, um, they are very much caretakers custodians of 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 the environment um and uh you know it's 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 very important for us uh, to be seen as that um and and it's not um it's, no it's not binary it's not like conservation and the rights of anglers can't work hand in hand yes <clears throat> so that's the balance we always seek to achieve um and like i say um it's it's not it's not easy um, yeah, there's always going to be some angler that is going to be upset that he cannot catch as many fish as he wants, and there's also always going to be a person who's going to be upset that angler caught any fish because they should. Yeah, them you're them. absolutely right. So you have to there's trade offs, and you have to you have to find that balance, and that's that's a skill, I guess. Um, and it's about communicating that to people as well, so they understand uh, as best as possible. Um, that there is this always this balance to be struck. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Dave. Uh, do you have time for for two more quick questions? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. So I would like to ask you about uh, ras fishery and, and especially ras fishing for salmon farms to fight. Yeah. That's that's quite interesting 
thing that came to light uh, recently, and I don't I don't know whether it just came to light recently or is it just that issue, you know, is going on for a while and now we know about it. Uh, can you explain uh, to our listeners what is what is the issue and and what's the position uh, from the perspective of Ireland? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's 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 in the UK. It's really been going on for about four, I guess, about four years now. Um, the issue is that live wild wrasse from the southwest of England, where there's a lot of rocky reef coastline and habitat, these wild fish are being caught live in traps and being transported live up to Scotland to be used as cleaner fish, where they peck the sea lice off the farm salmon and reduce the need for pesticides to be used to control the, the sea lice populations um now in theory it's good right in theory it's good because sea lice is a problem and you don't use pesticides and yeah it, it, you're right in theory in that's good it makes sense you've got a biological control for the sea lice problem you're not having to use so many pesticides in the environment that's got to be a good thing right uh, however um we don't know what the impact that the removal of these wild fish is having um, on the RAS populations in the southwest or more broadly on the ecosystem where they, they, they play a role. Um, you know, they're a predator and obviously they play a significant role in the functioning of these rocky reef habitats. On top of which, of course, RAS is a very popular angling species uh, and that's really why we're, we're involved. Uh, you know, we're not looking at the, the conservation of wrasse simply for the for, for the sake of it. Um, it's a very popular species for young people getting into the sport, and there's also been a huge boom in uh, in fishing with soft plastic lures for for wrasse, uh, yeah. which is now you know hugely popular. So it's a valuable natural resource for the southwest of England, and we don't believe the best use of that. Is, is shipping these fish up in, in containers to Scotland to be used yeah. as uh, as sort of slaves pecking the, the lice off these, off these flabby farmed, totally unnatural uh, salmon in these Scottish... I can, I can see your attitude towards salmon farming. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> but, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, man. Yeah, so... We, we yeah so we've been doing a lot of work on this over over recent years it's it's uh it's been um a, a learning curve really for everyone because it's something that's just opened up over the last few years uh fishermen have been making a, an enormous amount of money selling live wrasse it's now the most valuable um uh, species landed into the uk by weight um and um uh, yeah, I mean, over a million fish are predicted to, to have been removed. Is it, has it been going on for like decades and we just didn't hear about it? Not in the UK. It has in um, Scandinavia and it was in Scotland. So one of our suspicions, um, and there's there's not enough evidence really to be able to categorically prove this, although uh, others have insinuated this as well, is that uh, there are no longer enough RAS uh, around certain parts of Scotland to um, supply the demand. 
Um, and that's why they're coming down to the southwest of England. I mean, you've got to ask yourself the question, how is it cost effective to be, sh to be transporting uh, live RAS in, uh, you know, in seawater containers five or six hundred miles from Cornwall um, up into to Scotland? Um, you know, it's a hugely expensive logistical operation yet it's still cost-effective for them to do this. So um, the demand yeah, the, the demand is increasing, and we, we keep being told that at some point they're going to develop um, uh, sustainable um, quantities of farmed RAS. Uh, they use lumpfish as well, um, but a lot of them use RAS. You can farm RAS, but it's very complicated, and I don't think anyone yet has achieved it on a on a on a truly commercial scale. RAS are incredibly high maintenance. Yeah. Uh, I think that the the, um, the females need sort of harems of males, and they have all this very particular kind of courtship, um, which trying to trying to replicate in a, uh, in, in a in a in a farming sense, in an aquaculture sense, I think is very difficult. Um, yeah. They're changing gender as well, Ras, during their life. Yeah, like yeah. That. So there's all sorts of incredibly complicated um, uh, life history and, and reproductive mm. cycles. So, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, I think they also had problems as well where they farmed them and they were feeding them on pellets. But, of course, when they released yeah. them into the pen, uh, the Ras weren't used to having to feed on sea lice or wild creatures. So they starved because they were ex still expecting to be to be fed pellets. Um, so yeah, they, they, there's there's uh, it's only something that's been it's only a market that's developed in the last four or five years in the UK, but uh, it's been going on in Scandinavia uh, for a lot longer in the, the Norwegian salmon farms, um, and it's something that's just opened up and was completely unregulated to begin with. Um, and that was where our, our fear was that there were huge numbers of RAS being removed from key angling hotspots, um, but also with real, mm -hmm. no real knowledge of what, what the impact was going to be, either on the RAS populations. You know, there are slow, slow growing species. And like, like we've discussed, yeah. they've, they've got these very particular lifestyle habits, um, but also on, on the ecosystem itself. You know, if you remove a, a, a top predator like that, then what, what impact does that have on the rest of the the ecosystem we don't know yeah yeah wow okay and so you're i presume there is a efforts now to regulate that, that uh... yeah uh we're, we're we're currently working on uh with the university of um, exeter on a on a survey they're carrying a survey and we're encouraging um anglers to contribute to it to get a better understanding of the value yes. I remember. I remember. I actually. I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Something. So if yeah. you go on, uh, go onto Twitter, um, onto my uh, profile, um, I'll try and retweet um, after after this the the survey so that anyone that's in interested um, can complete it if they mm -hmm. if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll do that too. I'll retweet that as well. Uh, what's your Twitter handle, just for our listeners? Yeah, it's tide underscore lines. T-I-D-E underscore L-I-N-E-S. That's a, that's a very good Twitter handle. Listen, Dave, one last question. What's your view on poor beagle shark angling? 
um, there, there, I, I had that conversation not long ago with, with, uh, Ali Hood from, from Shark Trust. And I think that that was, uh, one of the, you know, kind of controversial subjects that, um, for big sharks, obviously their, their stocks are depleted and, and there are problems and it turned out and you know, I, I know myself, I was, I was trying for a number of years to, to catch for Eagle shark with rod and line and and i failed actually I, I i caught only very small one and just by accident while angling for blue sharks um but i never caught a big one and so i obviously understand how valuable for anglers uh, that fish is from the perspective of big strong fish that you catch on the other hand um they quite vulnerable and probably uh, the the females that be the, the fish that are being caught in UK waters are females who are more, most likely pregnant, and uh, so I I reckon there's a little bit of the of the tension here. From on one end, shark conservation organizations are uh, they're they're categorical about you know you shouldn't be fishing for parbigals, especially in a certain months. I don't remember exactly was it from 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 March to I, I don't I don't want to just, yeah. Just, but anyway, in the and the other hand, angling community is like, well, we we release those fish. They're you know. So, what's your view on that issue? Yeah, well, this is one of the things we've been talking to the um, Shark Angling Club of Great Britain about, and trying to trying to agree a position. Um, I think the first thing to say is the number of skippers that are actually catching or fishing for and catching these fish is tiny. I mean, we're talking about fewer than a than a handful. Um, two, three, or maybe four. So the scale of, of what's, uh, of what's going on is actually minuscule. Um, and I think that, 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 you know, you need, we need to, to put it in, in, in perspective to start with. Um, but I think, um, yeah, we, 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 you know, we have a, a responsibility to make sure that, 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 that we're fishing, um, sustainably, um, and that we're carrying out best practice. What I would say is that these anglers um, that are fishing for these fish are absolutely passionate about their conservation. And I think a lot of the time um, that gets overlooked. They are they are absolutely fascinated by these creatures and they are um, they are uh, um, passionate about about their conservation um, as well as catching them. So that would imply proper handling technique, for example. Sure. So, and these and these are the sorts of things that can be introduced to make sure that the impact of angling is is reduced, um, and that you know any potential mortality is is reduced as well. Um, but I think angling is 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 probably the only um, way of being able to capture these fish uh, and record them, either tag them, measure them, and record where they're caught and, and collect information in order to help fisheries managers manage these stocks and understand them better in the future. So the role that angling plays is crucial in being able to provide more information. I mean, we're, we're getting reports that there are more and more uh, and, and, and smaller uh, pole beagles being caught. Um, now that's coming, that's information that's coming from anglers. What that means is, okay, we need to understand why are there why are there more fish? Is it to do with uh, sea temperature rise? Why are there more smaller fish? Are there younger year classes that are coming through? Um, and so angling plays a really important role in collecting data and science on these stocks, um, which will help inform 
science and management because there's very little of that information at the moment. And angling can play a crucial role in helping to ensure the long-term um, survival um, of these of these shark species and stocks in in the future, and I think that that really needs to be to be recognised. Um, you know, the ability to uh, capture these fish, record them, tag them, measure them, um, and 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 provide data, um, which can't be done uh, through commercial fishing, and 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 really can can hardly be done at all in 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 any other way, is a crucial element in uh, conserving these these stocks for the future. So uh, angling has a really important role to play in shark conservation, and um, uh, and that you know the objective, ultimate objective, is for um, you know poor beagle um, uh, stocks to be healthy and abundant in UK waters. Um, but the scale of of, of angling on poor beagles is 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 you know is pretty tiny. And if you look at the bycatches from commercial fisheries and things, you you really need do need to, to see it in context. And although obviously social media pictures of, of, of people catching what look to be large pregnant poor beagles are not particularly helpful, um, this is a very, very small scale um, fishery. And that actually the large numbers of juvenile poor beagles that get caught as bycatch in, in commercial fisheries are, are, are having a much greater impact. On, on the stock, um, long lining in other parts of in other parts of the world, other parts of Europe, is having a, a, an even greater impact. Um, so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, and see angling uh, as 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 a problem. When in fact, uh, I'd like to see it as a solution. Yeah. No, and and you know I can only add to that that it's it's great that your guys are working with. Uh, uh, shark angling clubs and and uh, I, I think that the shark trust is also involved in that and uh, you know in fairness shark has recognized recreational anglers as a stakeholder which which was I was I was quite pleased to to hear and you know hopefully in a in the future uh, we can have a, like a one uh, position from 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 both sides it's like okay this is this is what's what's happening this is what should or should be done so that would be great. Yeah, we'd like we'd like to see that in the future too. Yeah. Listen, uh, is there anything else that you think is worth mentioning for our listeners and that we didn't uh, talked about yet? Um, I really don't know. Um, I'm. I'd be interested in uh, in, in any in any questions or on Twitter or, or anything anyone has to ask me. I'm always happy to be as um, as open and as honest as possible. Um, so yeah, if, if, if anyone has any questions, I guess that's probably the best way, uh, to get in contact with me, Tidelines on Twitter, um, or via you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always happy to have dialogue and discuss, uh, anything that anyone's, uh, wants, wants to ask. Um, so, um, yeah, that's probably the best, um, the best hour I can make to continue conversation with anyone that's interested. Sure. David, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, and, and you know, uh, we learn a lot. Yeah, no, well, th thanks a lot for the opportunity. It's been really great to be able to explain uh, the work that I do and the work of the Angling Trust and, and the European Angus Alliance. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. Thank you very much. 
You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.